0: Texas, Bruno. Uh, 120 was the heat index there. 120. Next Sunday is going to be Freedom Fest. And it is going to be an awesome day to celebrate our freedoms as Americans, as as Christians. And we are unashamedly going to honor our heroes, Our military, our first responders, our veterans, and we are going to clearly stand for religious liberty. And just so you know, we are going to proudly display old glory. There will only be one kind of flag next Sunday on our property, the American flag. You won't see any rainbow cloth on this property. Only a beautiful field of red, white, and blue blowing in the wind. And I probably should issue a public service announcement. Next Sunday is officially a woke free day. (laughs) So if you happen to be part of the brain dead, something might trigger you next Sunday. Just saying, just in case you want to know. You say, well, Pastor, we shouldn't get political, my friend, moral, spiritual, And bless God, normal is not political. It is biblical. And that is why we are going to stand clearly for the things of God. And so we're looking forward to next Sunday. You know, some people like to go to church on special events. So this is a good one to say, come. And uh, it will actually be a wonderful day, just a great patriotism. We'll pay our respects. to those that are trying to tear down our country, but it'll just be a day to honor and glorify Jesus Christ for sure. All right, the commands of Christ. Today, four commandments to believe in. A couple of years ago, I think 2012, the first human to ever run a four-minute mile, Roger Bannister, passed away. Roger Bannister was one of the great athletes of the past century. On May 6, 1954, he broke through the four-minute barrier in a time of three minutes, 59 seconds, and four-tenths. That had been the holy grail of athletic achievement. Runners really had been trying to achieve that for centuries, and They had uh, decidedly been doing so since the late 1800s. The quest involved the most brilliant coaches, those who tried to put together the best equipment possible, the greatest athletes in the world, but nobody could break the four-minute mile. Experts had really come to the conclusion it really may not ever be broken. It just maybe is beyond human capability. However, they said if it was broken, here would be the ingredients. It would be 68 degrees on that day. This is what they estimated. No wind, a hard, dry clay track, and a boisterous crowd urging the runner on. That's what they imagined. Strangely enough, Bannister broke it on a cold day. A wet track in a very small meet in Oxford, England before a crowd of just a few thousand people. But here's the crazy thing, and this really is the illustration. Nobody had broken this since ever. (laughs) Nobody had ever run a four-minute mile. Once he broke it, just 46 days later, John Landy, an Australian runner, not only broke it, he shattered it. And then quickly... One after another broke the record until today, thousands upon thousands of runners have broken the four-minute mile. Something that really just a few years ago was considered out of reach, maybe not even possible. How that happened and the phenomena was so strange that two Wharton School professors, Yoram Wind and Colin Cook, analyzed Voted an entire chapter to it in their book on uh, the power of what we think, the power of possible thinking. Here's a quote from their book. Was there a sudden growth spurt in human evolution? Was there a genetic engineering experiment that created a new race of super runners? No. The only thing that changed was a mental model. When that limit was broken, the others saw that it could happen something that they had thought previously impossible. I believe it's a valuable lesson on the power of the human spirit. It's a fact. What you choose to believe in has a powerful effect on every aspect of your life. Your beliefs can hold you back, and your beliefs can also push you forward. The good news is that today it is possible to choose beliefs, that empower you and embolden you and enable you. And the fact that you're here listening or listening uh, and we greet you and love you, thank you that you are, but the fact that we are here and we're hearing this, it says that we're one step closer to ensuring that our life is sanctified and not sabotaged by our own thinking, to change our life for the better, We change our beliefs for the better. Now, to find the right beliefs, you need look no further than the amazing Word of God. Now, we know that God wants us to believe everything in the Bible. We would agree with that, of course. And yet, there are four things. There's actually about six in the New Testament, but it comes around to maybe basically four. There are four things For beliefs that God said, if you'll believe in, it will change your entire future, your happiness, your success. And I might also add, here's the amazing thing, just as we saw with Roger Bannister, what we believe changes not only the records, but it frees others to do something. And maybe what you believe today will be for somebody else as well. And that's what we're asking God to make us not only change our own life, but that we would become an agent of positive change. Thoughts are powerful things. There was a man who prided himself on being exceedingly punctual. He followed a very precise routine every morning. The alarm went off at 6.30. He rose briskly. He groomed. He ate, picked up his briefcase, drove to the ferry parking strode over to the boat, across the river to the downtown area, got off, walked very smartly to the building, rode to the 17th floor, entered his cubicle, opened his briefcase, and sat down at his chair precisely at 8, not 8.01, not 7.59, always 8 a.m. He followed this routine without variation for eight years until one morning the alarm did not go off. When he did awake, he was panic-stricken. He threw on his clothes, gulped down his stale toes, grabbed his briefcase, rode over to the ferry parking lot, jumped out of his car, looked for the ferry, and there it was, a few feet from the dock. He said to himself, I think I can make it. I think I can make it. And so he ran down that dock towards that ferry at full speed, reaching the air, and he made an enormous leap and miraculously landed with a loud thud on the deck of the ferry. The captain saw that, rushed down to make sure he was all right, and he said, Man, that was a tremendous leap. But if you had just waited another two minutes, we would have reached the dock and you could have walked on. Yes, beliefs are powerful things. This morning, I trust that you'll be on the right boat in your life. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the power of what we believe in. Thank you for this great truth. Lord, I've uh, prayed and labored over this, uh, this week especially. And I pray that, Lord, you'll just fill me, Holy Spirit, as well as each of the hearers, in Jesus' name. As we begin, have you ever considered how that there's a difference between knowing something and believing something? It is possible to know something factually, but that's totally different from believing it internally. True believing puts knowledge into action. In the New Testament, the word believe occurs over 275 times. It is the Greek word pestuo. A working definition of that would be to consider something to be true, and therefore trusting of it. Now in ancient Greece, the word pestuo had a secular meaning as well. It meant to rely upon something. For example, if you were to say something like, you're putting a lot of faith in someone. It's not a biblical thing, it's just, A lot of reliance on them, a lot of, as the word would, pestuo. Or if you see a person standing on a wobbly ladder, and they're up there, and you're thinking, my goodness. You would say you're putting a lot of faith in that ladder. That was the way the word was used. Yes, real believing is more than just knowing something or a, a mental assent, but it is actually doing something about it. It is a dependence. It's a commitment, really, of Our actions, including our body, soul, and spirit. Here's what Jesus said about it in John chapter 11. You remember the context there. Uh, Lazarus, his friend, had uh, passed away. He's talking about the, the second resurrection and eternal life. He said, "...whosoever liveth and believeth," and he's talking about the gospel, or in me, "...shall never die." Believest thou this? Or we might say in the English, do you believe this? Here he's saying, you know, there's a difference between knowing something and believing something. You know, some people say, well, I'm just really not a faith kind of a person. I'm more of a scientific person. I've heard people say that to me for decades. I'm a kind of a science kind of a person. I have to see to believe. You know, Jesus actually addressed that very issue. In John chapter 20 and verse 29, he was talking to his wonderful, pessimistic disciple, Thomas, a good man, but boy, he was uh, Mr. Downer for sure. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. He said, that's good, all well and good. I mean, you're with me, you can see I'm alive, you can see who I am. But blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. I mean, people say, well, for me to believe, I'd have to see Him. Well, that would have been wonderful if we could have been back there in that day and seen Jesus. I don't know that we would have accepted Him any more than anybody else did. But the fact of the matter is, God's order is not believe and... God's order is not see to believe, but believe and then we'll see. That's God's order. Today, you and I will never see Christ perform a miracle, but we can read the Bible and it is very clear about the fact that Christ does miracles. And so, see to believe? Well, that's one way to do it. How much better it is to believe the Word and then we'll see in a way we never thought possible. That's exactly why the great Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He said, so then. So let's summarize this. So then, faith, faith in God, faith In the gospel, comes by hearing. So, I get it. We hear it. We read it. We see it in the Word. And then, when we do that, faith comes, moves into us. The more you hear, the more you embrace the Word of God. The more faith you'll have to believe. And so, this morning, we're going to discuss four things that God really wants us to believe. And when we do that, God says it will change your life. I mean these four things, if you'll believe in these, it will transform not only your life, but it will very likely touch others. The first one, the power of the gospel. The first thing to believe is the power of the gospel. And this verse is found in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is in his early ministry. He's preaching in northern Israel, Galilee, particularly. It was not an easy time, really most of the ministry of Christ wasn't an easy time, especially the latter part of his earthly ministry. There's a huge amount of political and economical and social upheaval. There was a bold Bible-believing man by the name of John the Baptizer. He had been put in prison. He was a little outspoken kind of a guy. And so the government did not like him. They put him in prison for Preaching the truth. Very critical juncture in the life of Christ. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And saying, so Jesus says, now, that's the setup. This moment then is a fulfilling time. And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God. All those Old Testament prophets that said, there's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom coming. Jesus said, it's here. It's at hand. It's now. Repent ye, and then notice the words, believe, pastuo, rely upon this, believe it to be a true thing, believe the gospel. Now we hear the word gospel. If you love music, you've heard about gospel music. If you uh, are around at all, we've heard the word gospel. The word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. Euangelion. It comes from two, it's a combination of two words, eu, which means good, and agelo, which means to proclaim something. In the English language, uh, it is God spell, or good message, or as it's often abbreviated, good news. And so, the gospel. It means good news. Now, why is the gospel good news? And why did Jesus say, Pestuo the Evangelion"? Why did he say, Believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Because finally, there's a guaranteed way that anybody can go to heaven if you believe the gospel. The gospel's the answer. This morning, people are all worried about the world. Uh, of course, we look at it and how could we not be but the answer is still the same. It's the gospel. That's the answer to this old world. Now, the euangelion or the gospel was used in a secular way as well. The word euangelion, for example, was used uh, when a person was in their town or their village. and Let's say they uh, were a shepherd and they had sold some of their sheep and someone came and told them about the they got a good amount of money on the sales of their sheep, and they would come back. And so when they came back, they would say, What is the euangelion? What's the good news that you have to tell me? Well, the euangelion is that you've got a good price. That's the good news. Or it was also used in another way, secularly. And that was when there had been a victory by the, uh, their own armies. They would come back, and the messenger would come, and he would lift up his hand and he would say, you on Gelion, good news for our country. We have won the victory. Now let's spiritualize this. What is what, why did Christ say you need to believe the gospel? You need to really rely on it. You need to really get this as part of you because it's the good news. Now, what is it that makes the gospel good news? Well, the thing that makes good news good news is the possibility of bad news That's exactly what this is mean. let's go to the first excuse me the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Here the great apostle recounted how Christ came. look at verse number one moreover brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. by the way, That's the way we give the gospel. We declare it. We don't examine it. We don't say, well, you know, everybody's got their own beliefs. No, that's not the way the gospel works. The gospel is a declaration from God. It's truth. Accept it. Don't accept it. Pay the consequences. It's not something you consider. It's a declaration. It's the good news declaration. Verse 2. By which also you are saved. God... The gospel is the thing that has the power to pull us out of death. Like we are out there drowning and someone rescues us. Only the gospel can pull us out of that water. Verse 3. Well, what? It, how did that happen and how is that accomplished? Verse 3. How that Christ died for our sins. According to everything that was crucified, according to... All Scripture, by the word, the word Scripture there is the Greek word graphe. It means the written word. And so Christ died according to all the things that have been written. I mean, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis when God told Eve that her seed would end up bruising his heel. And that was the fact that Christ would come. And that, verse 4, he was buried And that He rose again on the third day according to Scriptures. There's the Gospel. If someone said, what's the Gospel then? Well, the Gospel is that Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He paid for our sins. God the Son, Jesus Christ, took our sins, nailed them on the cross. He was in the tomb for three days. Now that's according to prophecy, but... Why three days? Well, 72 hours passed to show that he was not just sleeping or maybe going to come back. No, he was dead, dead, dead. And that was necessary. Sin had to be paid for by a, the death and the blood of one. And then he himself chose to rise up. He himself decided he was going to rise up from the dead. He then took that sacrificial blood as the ultimate high priest. He ascended to the heavenlies. He went to the real Ark of the Covenant, the one that had a picture in the Old Testament. He took His own blood for our sins. He placed it on the altar of God. God the Father accepted that. And then Jesus came back and He walked on this earth as a proof that He was accepted By the Father. All of that is the good news. Now, what is the bad news? The bad news is verse 3. Look at it. Christ died. Why did Christ die? I mean, he never sinned, never did anything wrong. Well, here's what it says He died for our sins. He died for our sins. Now, it's an interesting thing about this world. People try to explain away sin. People don't like the word sin. The terminology they say is behind the times or or archaic. Or they might say it's so boomer of you, you know, it's sin. Now I know we boomers can sometimes be a stubborn bunch. You've probably heard about the person that said how many boomers does it take to change a light bulb? None. Because they all resist change, even if it means making the world a brighter place. And it's true, there are some things that Um, seem like we act like that. But the fact is, folks, there are things that don't change. And one of them is sin. The word sin supposedly is a threatening thing, or triggering, or it's bigoted, or it's judging, or it's marginalizing people, or it's repressive. Why? Because if a person is born that way, it can't be sin. Or if it's just their choice and it's an alternative lifestyle, folks... People have this concept today, and there's no such thing as an ultimate morality. The humanists will tell us that sin is the invention of religion to keep everybody in line. In fact, here's a quote from a person. Surprisingly, this is a pastor, a liberal pastor, but here's what he said. After preaching for 50 years, I cannot help but feeling the church harps far too much on sin. And then when he on to say this, he said, Paul's words in Romans, that through one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, can be dismissed as nonsense. Now let me say, folks, without hum or haw, that man who says that needs to get out of the pulpit. He needs to get an honest living. I tell you, the idea that somehow sin is a repressive or a backward is no idea at all. Public enemy number one is sin. In the 1800s, there was a theologian by the name of Joseph Parker. He said this, he said, Sin is a clenched fist and a blow in the face of God. He said the exact same thing that Eliphaz said, Job's friend, his miserable friend. In Job chapter 15, verse 25, here, Job, or Eliphaz, speaking about God says, For he stretcheth out his hand against God and strengtheneth Himself against the Almighty. Now as humans, uh, we may sin quietly, or we might go about it crazily, but it's a fact. Every human in their own way shakes their fist in the face of God. Sin is a an attack on God's righteousness. That's why God is a thousand times justified in punishing sin. Here's what the major prophet said in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse number 4. He said, the soul that sinneth, and it's not just a thing that we do with our body, it's a inner sin, it's a soul sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It will surely die. You say, well, Pastor, I've never really committed a real sin. I mean, small things, but nothing like murder or adultery or something. But the fact of the matter is, folks, any violation of God's standard is an indication of a much bigger thing. And really, the problem is not so much what mankind does as what the human race is. The Lord made that very clear in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. He said, all these things that we're talking about, all this stuff, this sin, He said, it comes out of the heart. That's the problem. It's not just something we do with our hand, unthinking. No, the fact of the matter is, it really does come from the heart. The person then is not a liar because he tells lies, but rather he tells lies because he is a liar. Until you, until I admit there's a deemed out, deep down core heart issue, the gospel will never be good news. As long as we're thinking, well, I'm really not that bad, then the gospel's not going to be good news. But when we get to the place where we realize, oh my goodness, I realize I am a sinner, I have broken God's law. I am a sinner by choice, a sinner by birth. My heart is sinful. My actions are sinful. When I get to that point, then I'm going to say hallelujah for the good news of the gospel that Jesus paid for my sins. That sounds kind of hardcore, I'm sure. The delightfully unorthodox American evangelist, late evangelist Vance Abner said, The gospel makes some people sad, some mad, and some glad. But it's better that people should go out of church mad than merely go out neither sad or mad nor glad. Believing in the true gospel requires that we have admit that we've done wrong. It requires that we admit that we've sinned against God. That's not easy to do in this world that's so guilty of self-esteem cult. If we're the kind that says, well, I get to believe what I want to about the gospel and reject what I don't want, then it's not the gospel we believe, but it's our own self. There is no other way to be saved apart from the gospel. That's exactly why the Apostle Paul stood so strong on the gospel. He said, of all the truths that are out there, here's the one truth that I'm unashamed of. The one that I always go to. This is, this is what I always go back to. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed... Of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto the saving. The saving of people, the saving of families, the saving of marriages, the saving of a nation. That's what a nation needs the gospel. Saved. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the pollution of sin. Saved from the power of sin. That's why the gospel, the euangelion, is such good news. Because notice what it says. It says, it is the power of God unto salvation. It is to every person. And that's why I love the gospel. You can look anywhere on the face of God's green earth. You can talk to anybody and you can tell them they can have eternal life. No matter what you've done, if you accept Jesus Christ, He will save you. That's why he says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, Whosoever, it doesn't make any difference, whosoever will just stop and call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why it's such good news. You said a murderer, yes. A blasphemer? Yes. A thief? Yes. Moral sin? Yes. Look again. It says it is look again at that verse. It is the power of God. It is the power of God. The, the first thing to believe is the power of the Gospel. Recently, I, I've been, for years of course, prayed for all my grandchildren to be saved. All my children to know they're saved. Sometimes I think that when you're in church a lot, you grow up, you just kind of have the concept that somehow it's going to just happen by osmosis. But my friend, we need to pray For everybody, that they know the gospel, that they are truly saved in their heart of hearts. Believe the gospel. Believe on Jesus Christ. About a month ago, an author, well-known New York pastor, Tim Keller, went to be with glory. Let me give you a quote that he said about the power of Christ, the gospel. He said, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe. But thank God you're more loved than you ever dared to hope. Yes, that is the Gospel. Four commandments to believe this morning. First of all, we must believe the power of the Gospel. It changes lives. Number two, the preeminence of prayer. Believe the Gospel. That's the answer to our country. That's the answer to the political situation for people to get born again. Genuinely converted. Number two. We need to believe in the preeminence of prayer. The setting is Mark chapter 11. Energetic Peter is there. He remembered what had just happened the day before in the ministry. He comes back and they see this fig tree that Jesus had had this illustration about. And he said, wow. He said, man, that fig tree that you just cursed, that you prayed against, it's all shriveled up. Jesus, almost matter-of-factly, said, oh yeah, that is an example of believing prayer. Moreover, he said, this is not just a one-off thing. That kind of thing that is something that can happen every day. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Therefore, I say unto you, Peter, I mean, come on, get this, Peter. What things, soever you desire, when you pray, believe, there's that word again, "pestuo." Rely on it, on the Word of God. Trust the Word of God that you receive them and you shall have them. Now maybe a little caution here. This is not to make us just run off and join the name it and claim it group. That's not what that verse is proving there. It's being when we have God-given faith based on a promise from the Word of God then we can pray and know that God is going to work in that area. Christ challenged his young college, he said, Look, as we're going forward in your family, in your ministry, wherever, pray about absolutely everything. If it's small, pray about it. If it's, quote, big, which is not to God, God, everything's small to God, pray about everything. When you pray about everything, you get God's everything. If there's any commandment that you and I need to believe today, it's this one. We need to believe in the power of prayer. That any man, any woman, any son or daughter who can pray can do anything. If you can pray, then you can do anything. That's the secret weapon. You know when you're in a meeting with your boss and everything's going kind of haywire, everybody's saying this and saying that. Here's the thing that you've you got to always remember. You've got a secret weapon. You've got prayer. You've got God on your side. And so pray when you're in that situation. Wherever you are, you always have a secret weapon. You've got God. Because prayer can do anything. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And when we pray, we get a hold of that God. The desperate need in these last days is to live a life of prayer, believing prayer. You and I don't have a genuine need in our lives that could not be met by fervent prayer. God wants to give us what we need as humans. We're often so self-reliant. We're so proud of our abilities. We're just kidding ourselves. We often imagine we don't really need to pray. A wife was looking through her closet for something to wear. She called her husband over and said, Hey, honey, look, I found something that still fits after 25 years. And she puts it on proudly. Her husband looks at her and says, Honey, it's a scarf. (laughs) Yeah, we kid ourselves a lot, don't we? fact of the matter is, we in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our lives, our work, we are thinking about what can we do, what can we do. The fact of the matter is, we need to just pray because without God, we can do nothing. The fact of the matter is, few Christians really ask God for everything they should. One pastor said, there are no problems too big to solve, just people too small to solve them. It is not until we really believe, stand on the Word of God, that our God moves into action. Are we really getting God's power? Or are we just just purposing, oh, well, we'll just go along as normal. A little boy was trying one day in his playtime to move a huge stone in the yard. He was trying with all of his might. He was pushing it, and he'd get a and fine and pull on it. The entire time, that father was watching him from the house. He came outside and he said, Son, are you using all of your strength? The little boy said, Yes, Dad, I'm using everything I've got. It's not moving. Then the dad said, You're not really using all the power you have because you haven't asked me to help you. And you know, we're often weighed down with our problems and our burdens and we get all upset and we're pushing and we're pulling. Hey, if we ask for help, But the reason we don't is because we don't believe. We don't pestuo. We don't really rely on the fact that prayer changes things. In Luke chapter 8, there was a precious lady during the time of Christ. She had a very debilitating medical problem, embarrassing medical problem. And try as she could, nothing happened. Nothing was working. Luke chapter 8, verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, He answered, He said, Fear not, believe. There's that word again. Pestuo. Only believe. And then she's going to be made whole. And I'm convinced that it's going to amaze us when we get to glory. All the things that we could have had if we would only believe. We're going to get to heaven and God's going to open up the storehouse of our mansion. And we're going to look in there and we're going to see moldy and all Stuff all messed up. We're going to say, what's that? he's going to say, well, those are all the things that you could have had had you only asked. Now, I'm not sure there's going to be anything moldy in heaven, but the fact of the matter is I believe there are things in heaven that we could have had on earth had we just prayed. Those were your blessings. These are things God wanted to give us, but because we didn't believe. Did you know that prayerlessness is just, it's actually more than just not getting what we could have? It's actually a sin. The Bible recorded Brother Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 23. We've been going through Samuel, 1 Samuel, and then 2 Samuel now on Sunday nights. Samuel is an amazing man of God. He was a prophet, but he was also a priest. And essentially he was a king. And in that he was a great symbol of Jesus Christ, prophet, priest, and king. But you'll notice in this verse, it says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You know, prayerlessness is not just, well, we miss a blessing. No, it's actually sin. When we don't pray, God said we are committing sin. That's exactly why Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, watch, pray, or you will enter into temptation. You will enter into it. Keep praying. Our families, our future, we need to pray. The needs are so big. Absolutely cannot be done without prayer. If we just think that our concepts and all of our plans and all of our little schemes are going to get the job done, it's not going to happen. I can tell you as a church, we have surely seen the hand of God over these years. And recently it's been just incredible. These are our finest days. Well, let me just say this. I believe that God wants this church to do greater things than we've ever done. And if we're going to do that, we need a whole host of prayer warriors that will stand up and say, okay, I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm going to pray about this matter and pray day in and day out. All oh, the arrogance of not praying and asking God to help us. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress said, He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find Him the rest of the day. Someone once asked George Mueller how much time he spent in prayer. He said, I just live in the spirit of prayer. I mean, I just, I pray all day long. The great reformer Martin Luther said, If I would neglect prayer but a single day, I would lose the all the fire of my faith. One day without prayer, I would lose the fire in my bones. Prayer is what just moves things. God said, look, these are four things you need to really get a hold of. These are like high priorities in our life. Number one, you need to believe the gospel. Number two, you need to believe the power of prayer. And then number three, you need to believe in the presence of God, the unshakable faith in God and about God. Here's what John 14, verse 1 says. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Pastuo in God. Believe in Christ. Keep on believing in God. Keep on preaching Christ. I want you to listen now to some common, flawed, but common thoughts that many Americans, and I'm sure people around the world, say. And, and sad thing, even some Christians. About the reality of heaven, about the reality of God, about who God is, Jesus Christ. Here's one of them. It really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Here's another one. Good people go to heaven. Here's another one. My God or my loving God would never send anyone to hell. Here's another one. Whatever works for you is true for you. Here's another one. It's arrogant. It's fascist or it's Repressive to believe that there's only one way to heaven. Not too long ago, the most recognized religious leader in the world made this stunning, unbiblical statement. Quote, many people think differently, are seeking God or are meeting God in different ways. But we are all children of God. Tragically, that's exactly the opposite of what our Savior said. Here's what Jesus said about religious people who claim that, hey, it's all good. Makes no difference. As long as we're religious, it's all good. Jesus said, oh, not so. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not the way it works. You've got to go through the God of the Bible. John chapter 8 and verse 42. Jesus said unto them, to these religious people who are claiming, "Hey, it's all good. I mean, whatever you believe, it's good." Jesus said, "If God were your Father, then you would love me. Obviously, you don't love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. I didn't come of myself. He sent me. I'm from God the Father. And if you don't accept me and my payment and the gospel, then my friend, it's not good. In fact," And i tell you what, you want to talk about somebody who laid it on the line. Here is Jesus' words. Look at verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Ooh, man, you talk about straightforward. I mean, that. I don't know that I've ever told anybody that. But Jesus did. Jesus drew a line in the sand and he said, look. He said, there's God and then there's everything else. It's not any way you choose is good. In the fourth gospel, John chapter 6, Peter and gang were asked by the Lord an actual, a very penetrating question. In verse 67 of the gospel of John chapter 6, Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Will you also go away? Now let me paraphrase that just so we don't have to go through all the setting. He said, If Jesus isn't the hope of heaven, if God isn't where you find true peace and fulfillment, then where? I mean, if Jesus isn't the, the source to eternal life, then where do you find I mean, if it's not Jesus, then what? Peter, the old Peter, despite all of his weaknesses, he's like we are. Despite all of his weaknesses, he came back with a powerful answer. Look at verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, I've seen it all. I've heard it all. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nothing else in this world. If Jesus isn't the answer, then everything else in this world is a question. Listen to that. To whom shall we go? Atheism. Is that where we're going to go? So we're going to turn from Jesus Christ to atheism? Okay, these are the people that believe this. They believe that there was a, a rock that created itself. It just, after a thousand years, or ten thousand years, or a hundred thousand years, It just a, a rock. And then, that rock exploded after however many millions of years and became a human. Wow, that is brilliant. Folks, that's just the most stupid thing I've heard in my life. How could someone think that that's real? I mean, that is so stupid. Atheism doesn't have the answer. You say, well, you're not very educated. Uh, well, there's a difference between education and intelligence. I mean, I may not be biologically educated. I've been to college, but uh, intelligence is a whole other thing. You'd say, well, uh, that's not what the uh, college teaches. Well, you know that the smartest people of history believed in. Creation, Socrates, we believed in God, Galileo, Newton, Pasteur. You know, even Einstein believed in God. Where else would we go? That's what the the question is. Peter was like, well, what else would I do? If Jesus isn't the answer, then what would I do? i tell you what we'll do. We'll go to the government. That's where we'll find our joy. That's where we'll find our peace. That's where we'll find our answer. The government. And if you've ever done much time trying to deal with the government, you know it can get a little frustrating at times. I definitely sympathize with the man I read about. A busload of politicians were driving down a country road when well, all of a sudden the bus ran off the road, crashed into a tree in an old farmer's field. The farmer, after seeing what had happened, went over to investigate and proceeded to dig a hole and bury all those politicians. A few days later, the local sheriff came out and saw the crashed bus and said to the farmer, he said, hey, where are all the people? Where'd they go? The farmer said, I buried them. Sheriff said, well, the coroner wasn't here. Are you sure they were all dead? He said, well, some of them said they weren't, but you know how them politicians, they lie all the time. I sympathize with that guy. It can kind of get frustrating. Well, I, we appreciate our public servants. But the fact of the matter is, you would say, well, I'm a capitalist. Well, that's good. It's a whole lot better than socialism. But I will tell you, you could be a capitalist all your life and die and go to hell. That's not going to... Somehow make it okay. That will never satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. You'd say, well, religion's the answer. Really, that's the answer? Folks, you know religion is its the best thing that mankind can do. I mean, not true religion like the Bible talks about, but a false religion? You take Islam. You take Muhammad out of Islam and it just keeps on going. It doesn't even miss a beat. Take Jesus out of Christianity, and it falls to pieces. Because it is not a religion. It is a relationship. It's not a code or a creed or a cause. It is a relationship with God Himself. You'd say, well, I know the answer. We'll spend our life in sports. You know, I've met a lot of families over the years that don't even darken the church doors. They're just going to spend all their life in sports and doing that, you know. I'm sure there's some good from it, but friends, it doesn't satisfy the longing of the heart. It doesn't even come close to what happens when you give life, your life to Jesus Christ. Only Jesus gives meaning to life. You'd say, well, how do you know that this is true? How do you know that God is true? I, here's how I know God is true. The Bible says it's true. I've done what He said. But look at this verse, 1 John 5 and verse 10. There's one more reason why I believe in God, and that is I have the witness. Look at this verse. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Do you believe in God? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, I do. You'd say, how do you know? Well, the Bible says so, but I also have the witness inside of me. Well, that witness, of course, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit witnessed to me through the word and then he witnesses in me as being in my life. You could argue all day long and say, Well, I have proof. Well, you know what? I mean, I just always laugh at these people that they get their faith shaken. Honestly, I don't I don't see how you do. I mean, I'll <laughs> just be honest with you. As soon as someone could handle all this, you know, facts and figures and evolution and science, like I'm like it means nothing to me. I mean, my blood pressure goes down. He was like, it's nothing. It is stupid. Why is it stupid? Because I have the witness inside of me. Here's uh, here's the verse I like in Psalm 34 and verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I've tasted the Lord and it's good. Someone said, uh, if you were to come to me and say, that Apple Hill fritter, apple fritter you just ate, it's no good. I'm like, okay, you're right, yeah. It's inside of me, and I promise you, it's really good. You could come and say, it's not good, it's not, it's not real. Okay, whatever you say. All I can tell you is it was really good going down. It real. I inhaled that thing. It is in me. People say, do you really believe? Oh, I can't even tell you how much I believe. Not only because it's in the Word, but I have the witness the Holy Spirit in me. There are three things that we've looked at. God says, I want you to believe the power of the gospel. Number two, the preeminence of prayer. Number three, the presence of God. And finally, the payoff of faith. The God of scripture is a rewarder. Hebrews 11, 6. You must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. There has never been a person in the history of the world who accepted Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior and lived by faith that ever regretted it. Not one. Zero. The billions of people that have lived, and the billions that are on the earth, everyone that is born again, they don't regret it. Why? Because God's a rewarder. You'd say, well, I don't feel it. Well, you've not gotten the reward. God's reward is amazing. Psalm 58, verse 11. Verily, verily, there's a reward for the righteous. Matthew 5 and verse 12, Great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 6, 6, The Father who sees in secret shall reward openly. There are amazing rewards that come from God. There's peace. There's joy. There's good health. There's great relationships. But I would say the greatest reward is what is found in Jude chapter 1 or Jude Verse 24 and 25. Here the amazing book of Jude, that bold epistle. Gives us the grandest doxology in the Bible. You might say, payday someday. Here it is. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Say amen with me. Amen. Man, that's some preaching. That one, those two verses. I can't think of a more hopeless, a, a, a worse feeling than to be hopeless. Can you imagine? It would be like sailing through life without having any hope. I want to share an illustration. I'm a little late here, but I want to try to wrap it up quickly. A beautiful illustration out of the books of Dr. Adrian Rogers. He said, suppose for a few moments you were on a cruise in the Caribbean, a beautiful ship, everything's wonderful, all your best friends, the best music, the great, beautiful blue skies, all the beaches, the water, the food melts in your mouth. It's amazing. The captain comes on and says, well, I got a great announcement for everybody. He said, we can continue all the entertainment. The ship's can even do a better job. The food's going to be wonderful. But I do need to tell you that um, we're not going to be sailing to any particular spot. We're just going to kind of keep going round and round out here in the Caribbean. And then... We're going to run out of fuel, and then we're going to scuttle a ship, and then we're going to all sink and die. It's like, well, what? I mean, <laughs> what? That's a description of life right there. Have fun, big cruise, party, eat, fun. Then you just, you just go around in circles, and then you die. Wow, that's a terrible, I mean, you talk about hopeless. But he said, imagine for a few moments you were in the hospital. It wasn't going good. You are not feeling well. But the doctor came in and said, I got plain but good news for you. It's going to hurt for a while, but you're going to get better. And you'll be walking out of here soon, and you're going to have a great life. Now, folks, that's the difference between the world's concept and God's concept. Yeah, there is some struggles and some hardships now, but bless God, when we die... All the good comes now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling. Old Noah, he wasn't hanging on to the outside of that boat just hoping that somehow he didn't let go. No. He was inside the boat. Now, he wasn't perfect. He might have fallen a few times inside the boat, but he never fell out of the boat because God keeps us inside of the boat. That's what God does for us. He he keeps us from falling. That's the hope we have. Friends, that's the greatest thing in the world to know. That God has sealed that door. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so this morning, the greatest thing that we could have is that knowledge. Yes, that our future is set. Now, I don't know if you or I'll ever run a four-minute mile. Well, I know I'll never run a four-minute mile like Roger Bannister. But I will tell you one thing. These four commandments, if we'd believe in them, they would change our future. And others as well. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.